We're going to be in Judges chapter 19 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn your, your Bibles there. As I mentioned, uh, that, you know, of course, next Sunday's Christmas Eve. The service Sunday night, uh, we'll have, we'll have uh, all these white lights out and so forth. We call it a candlelight service, but our candles are all fake. Uh, but it, it does give us that, that impression, and there'll be a lot of music, uh, a sweet time together. But that service is going to start at 5 o'clock next Sunday. So we kind of drilling that number home. Uh, uh, Christmas Eve, a lot of folks have family traditions, and I'm fine with that. Uh, this is one of those years, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, and uh, we, we just get to be in the house of the Lord for that, and I hope that you'll be able to come and make it. I don't think we're getting a white Christmas. Has anybody heard otherwise? Yeah, I don't think so. I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, most of us don't shovel on Christmas Day anyhow. We're content to stay in. Uh, how many of you are traveling for Christmas? Anybody? Good. I, uh, Mike, traveling far? Virginia, I don't recall signing your pass, so you need to kind of change your plans. Um, uh, please be praying. There are, they're saying 115 million people traveling this Christmas. That's what AAA put out. Uh, that's like, uh, that's one-third of the population uh, of our country's traveling. Uh, so certainly be praying one for another uh, on all of those things. Uh, let's see, New Year's Eve, two weeks from today. How many remember when you were a kid and you were told as you get older, time's going to go faster? How many remember hearing that? How many for you, that's your reality? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my goodness, how, did, how in the world did this happen? We're almost into 2024. On New Year's Eve, we are going to have our brand new Bible reading calendars. I've already got mine tucked away. How many have done this this year? You kept up. Good, good. I've enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, a few more chapters to go and, and we'll have finished reading the Bible through. Uh, for those maybe that started and you just got kind of sidetracked, you'll get a new one and uh, you can start over for 2024. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a New Year's Eve service. It's a Sunday, so Sunday night. Uh, we'll start at six o'clock. It's going to be flannel night. And uh, so that'll, we'll just all kind of be nice and comfortable in church. Uh, we'll enjoy some time of testimony, some special music and a message uh, to sort of get us uh, mindful of what God's done this year and then start looking forward again, uh, what God has for us in the year to come. Uh, afterwards, we're going to have uh, chili and homemade bread, so make some, bring it in. We'll have some judges testing it during church. We'll give out some awards uh, for the best chili, for the hottest chili. And I've, I've, Mike, I've heard several people tell me they're taking you down this year. So we'll have fire extinguishers all over the first floor hallway just in case uh, somebody goes overboard on that. Uh, we'll tear down all the Christmas decorations, sadly. Uh, usually that doesn't take nearly as long as putting it all up. And uh, we'll get some things up for the new year, set up the volleyball net. So we'll just enjoy some fellowship and so forth together. And uh, then on uh, the first Sunday of January, that's January 7th, we're going to have what we're calling Vision Sunday. Uh, we have a calendar that's being printed up with all of the major events of the year. Uh, like men's conference, missions conference, powerhouse, and so forth. Uh, also, some other things we're adding this year. Uh, one that we have never, ever done, uh, to my knowledge, in the history of the church. Uh, but I've been praying about this for a long time. And uh, so uh, it's, uh, the Lord's allowed it to come to pass, and we're, we're planning that. Uh, so you'll get that calendar, and we'll kind of... Uh, 
uh, highlight a few of the things that I believe God would have us to do. Um, I was talking to Brother Don this morning. Jesus is coming soon. Every time I listen to the news out of the Middle East, uh, it's like I'm reading the book of Ezekiel uh, and I'm, I'm seeing all of those nations moving and, and uh, so forth. Uh, the alliance between China and Russia and Iran. You understand that's all in the Bible? It's, it's, just, it's just all there and we're the generation that's watching it come to pass. Now, I don't, put a, I don't put a date when Jesus is coming. The Bible says, no man knoweth the hour. So I don't want to do that, but uh, we can look at Scripture and see some things, and we ought to live with this anticipation. It could be today. could be today. And if it is, we don't want Jesus to come and we're out of here and we didn't finish the work he sent us to do. Uh, when he said occupy till I come, he didn't mean occupy pew. That word occupy means to take the land. That means to conquer. That means to fully gain everything God wants. And so 2024, uh, it's time to move forward again. And so that's what Vision Sunday is going to be all about. Uh, and so I hope you'll plan to be here, be a part of that. Did you find Judges 19? I told you these last few chapters of the book of Judges are a bit on the dark side. Judges has its moments of great victory, uh, great movements of God, like in the days of Gideon, uh, Jephthah, and so forth. But sadly, those great moments were followed by God's people dropping the ball, going back to their old ways, falling into sin. And uh, so God has to deal with them with chastisement. And so it's that endless cycle. As God closed out the book of Judges, he took two instances from those cycles of the bad days. He doesn't put a time on it. Uh, we can't say that uh, the, the situation with the man Micah, who had a house of idols and got that wandering Levite to come in and all of that, we can't exactly pinpoint where in the book of Judges that event took place. God may have done that on purpose for us so that we... Uh, we don't say, well, that was just then. It's just to realize when we walk away from God, we have no idea how far we may end up away from God. The prodigal son left home and went into a far country. He had no idea that that far country uh, was not going to be anything like he thought it would be. And uh, the book of Judges helps us understand it. Uh, the last uh, three or four chapters of Judges is another episode. Um, and it's, it's even darker than the last one that we talked about. So sort of buckle your sp spiritual seatbelt in. And we, as we read it, there's a part of us ought to be saying, but for the grace of God, there go I. It's easy for us to say, well, if I, if I lived then, I would have never done that. But you consider the stuff we already do now. Do we, are we yielded to God? Are we serving God? Or are we allowing some things uh, to come to pass in our lives? So we're in Judges chapter 19. We're going to be introduced to a, an individual, a Levite. Uh, what was the job or jobs of the Levites according to the Old Testament? Can anybody tell me? They were the priests, so they served at the tabernacle. Uh, what else were the jobs of the Levites? Anybody else know? 
The Levites didn't get a, um, a, an inheritance as far as like uh, Judah got a, a, a piece of land, a very large piece, and that was their sort of like a state. There was the, the, the region of Judah. There was for Benjamin and Dan and Asher and all the rest of them. The Levites didn't get uh, something like that. What they did is they got cities that were scattered all over the entire nation. They were named in the book of Joshua and they belonged to the Levites and God scattered them out. Can anybody remember what they were to do being scattered out like that? Some of them were cities of refuge. They were sanctuary, making sure that people weren't just taking the law or judgment into their own hands. Absolutely great answer. Anybody else know what the Levites did being scattered around through all of the nation of Israel like that? They were to teach the Bible. Okay, uh, they were to, they were to help the people to understand and to know God's law, God's ways and so forth. Um, if you will, they were to be the salt of the earth amongst the nation of Israel. They were to be the lights of the world um, and, and so forth. Uh, we're, we met a Levite last time, a young man with no grounding, no foundation, wandering around seeking a place. And he ended up in a house of idols. Uh, he ended up going to the tribe of Dan and led them into idolatry uh, from which they never escaped. It was always a part of their, their fabric um, uh, until they were carried away by the Assyrians in 722 BC. We're going to meet another guy now. He is not a, a bad guy. He is not a, a weak individual. He is not like the Levite of the last chapter. And um, our, our account now is going to center around this man and some trouble that he had in his home. Look at verse 1. It came to pass in those days. Read the next phrase with me, uh, class. Ready? When there was no king in Israel. I was mentioning to somebody this morning, uh, how many of you like rules? Good. We're all honest. Okay. How many of you like uh, having somebody over you telling you what to do or what not to do? How many like it? Okay. It's not human nature to like that. Okay. Uh, suppose there were, uh, there were no state troopers. There was no Wallingford police, no Meriden police and so forth. Uh, they, they didn't exist. What would the highways be like? They're already a mess with them. Can you imagine the Merritt Parkway uh, without a state trooper sitting there? They don't, sometimes they're just sitting there, but it is, in, it is insane how some people drive on that highway and, and so forth. And, and I see people pulled over from time to time and I'm thinking they must have been going nearly 100 to get pulled over because everybody else is going 80 uh, and so forth. Do you realize that Human nature is such if we don't have laws or rules and authority to enforce them, we usually devolve into chaos, don't we? That, that's just human nature. Uh, human nature seldom strives to be its best. It almost always sinks to its lowest level. So God put in on purpose that little phrase, when there was no king in Israel, no one to enforce the law, no one to have uh, law enforcement. In those days, it would be his army and his soldiers and so forth. So God places that. So this is a time, <clears throat> if you will, 
when the people are somewhat left to themselves. Let me ask this question, though. Was there a king over Israel? Barry says yes. Tim says yes. Who? Yeah, it was the Lord. Remember, we're going to get to the book of 1 Samuel pretty soon, and the people, that's the end of the period of the judges, saying we want a king like everyone else to rule over us. And Samuel was grieved with that. And uh, the Lord told Samuel, he said, don't be grieved. He said, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. Um, so they had a king over them. It was the Lord. Um, but because the, there was no physical presence there, they didn't seem to fear the Lord very well, did they? So we're setting up the scenario here. Came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim. That's where Joshua had made his homestead. And uh, there was a, a, a city set aside for the Levites there. This was in the northern part of the country who took to him a concubine out of where? Bethlehem, Judah. Where was the Levite from in the last two chapters? He was from Bethlehem, Judah. Isn't it interesting how that name is all of a sudden started coming up? Uh, to us, and it's going to become very, very important throughout Bible history. Uh, he took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. That word concubine appears an awful lot in the Bible. Solomon had 700 wives and how many concubines? They had 300 of them. Um, we don't we don't quite understand this mentality. It's not a part of our culture and so forth. Um, a concubine was not a harlot. Okay, we need to understand that. It was not a harlot. Uh, a concubine was, uh, was a, a woman that entered into a legal arrangement with the man, and she had many of the privileges that a wife would have. He would take care of her. He'd provide a home and clothing uh, and so on and so forth for her. Probably the biggest difference between a, a, a gal who was called a concubine and a lady who was called a wife is that the concubine's children could not be heirs to the family. In other words, if there were a man, he had a wife and a concubine, it was a legal arrangement, okay? So it wasn't, nobody here's living in immorality in their culture, okay? Um, and, and the concubine had a son and the wife had a son. The concubine's son could not take over the family when the husband died, because um, she was a concubine, sort of like a lesser status. How many understand? Okay, so when we read that verse in the Bible, does anybody here besides me get puzzled about that? Just a little bit. It was a legal arrangement, not an immoral one. Okay, are we fine? Um, was it a wise arrangement? No, no. Think of Solomon, the wisest man in the world, 700 wives and 300 concubines. By the way, as far as we know from Scripture, he had no Jewish wives. His wives all came from the heathen countries. A lot of people believe they were political alliances uh, that were established with a marriage on all of that. There's where I start doubting the wisdom of Solomon, if I'm going to doubt it at all. I mean, that's a lot of nylons over the shower curtain, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and by the way, they were his downfall. They were his downfall. God, God commanded in Deuteronomy, a king was not to multiply wives to himself. And Solomon thought, I know more than God. Did it work? 
No. So uh, we're, we're understanding this man has a concubine from Bethlehem, Judah. I wanted you to understand this is not an immoral relationship, but in that culture, that's the way it was established. But verse 2, his concubine played the whore against him. That's a harsh word, isn't it? It's a harsh word. We like to dress things up and, and, and put another kinder, gentler uh, word to it. But we need to see sin as God needs sin, see sin. And this, this, whoever this young lady was, she became immoral. She cheated on this man. He was her husband um, and uh, she cheated on him and went away from him under her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. So she not only was unfaithful to him, she left him entirely and she went back home to her father's house. Now there's no explanation as to why her father took her in, why he didn't send her back home. Uh, the Bible doesn't uh, make us privy to that. Uh, verse number three though, and her husband arose and went after her and notice this, to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, having his servants with him and a couple of asses. This man didn't go down there to rip her to shreds. He didn't go down there to put her in her place. He did not go down there to drag her before the courts of law in those days. Um, because of what she did, she could have been stoned to death uh, and all of that. This man went down, the Bible says, I'm, I'm looking at it, to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again. You got to admire this man's sense of mercy and kindness, he's, he's been betrayed, um, and, and, and she has defiled their arrangement and run away from him, and he goes after her. He's not waiting for her to come crawling back to him, and he speaks friendly unto her. He's gonna honor his commitment to her, whether she did or not, um, and, and we have to see this, man, and, and uh, at, at this point, we have to have a good deal of respect for him, okay? Um, the Bible says she brought him into her father's house. When the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. The dad didn't want to see this, this uh, marriage arrangement uh, that they had fall to pieces. Um, and he was very happy to see this man there. Um, it's not that he didn't love his daughter and wanted her out of his house. He wanted his daughter to do right. How many parents understand that? Our kids don't always do right, but our goal is never to defend them in their wrong. That, that we should never do that. It's always to point them the way back uh, to do that which is right. And look at verse number four. And his father-in-law. That's how we know this was deemed as a marriage relationship. The man is called his father-in-law. The damsel's father retained him and he abode with him three days. So they did eat and drink and lodged there. So there, there's somewhat a family reunion and for three days, uh, you know, that they're there. Uh, very, very possibly the man and, and this, this uh, young lady uh, are, are talking an awful lot, getting some things right. Maybe the father-in-law is, is sort of acting as a mediator, trying to help get this marriage reestablished uh, and so forth. And so three days go by. And uh, again, you, you have to admire this man and so forth. Uh, there was trouble there at home. And now they're gonna, there's going to be something happen. There's going to be trouble here uh, in Bethlehem, Judah. It came to pass on the fourth day. 
when they arose early in the morning that he rose up to depart. And the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, comfort thine heart with a morsel of bread and afterward go your way. So her dad said, let's, let's have breakfast before you leave. Let's spend just a few minutes more together and, and uh, then, then you can go on your way. How many of you have uh, children uh, slash grandchildren and they live somewhere away from this area? How many are like that? I've now got family in Michigan. I got family in North Carolina. Uh, when they come to see me, those days fly by. How many know that, that that is true? I mean, it just goes by and all of a sudden you wake up and it's the morning. You know that they got to leave and catch a flight or they're going to get the car loaded up and drive away. How many of you look at it and say, boy, I wish we had another day? Anybody? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when Tim and Carla first were married, they lived in upstate Michigan, all the way up to the top of the top of the hand. And uh, 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 Callie and Paisley were just toddlers at the time, and they came in, and uh, they spent several days for a visit. And that morning came, uh, and Tim wanted to drive straight through to get all the way home. It was about a 16-hour drive. And so, you know, I reluctantly helped them carry luggage out to the car and so forth. And Trina and I walked out and uh, hugged and kissed the girls and Tim and Carla and then did it all over again. And eventually, you know, the van started and they pulled up and they drove away. And Trina and I went in and sat down in the house and we weren't there very long. And, and uh, I looked at her and I said, this house is way too quiet because Anna was gone. Sarah was gone. It was just us and we were bored. This man is probably experiencing some of those emotions because you understand in, in those days, people often didn't travel very far outside of the, the city limits. They live in Bethlehem, Judah, which is, which is uh, not quite all the way south in the land of Israel. Uh, the Levite and the concubine, they live to the north on Mount Ephraim. We're going to see in a moment uh, kind of the idea of distance, but it was more than the average person would travel. Um, when I was recently in Missouri to see uh, Pastor and, and uh, Heather Wilson and preach at their church, um, they live in the town of Piedmont, population 1900, one grocery store. Um, they have a downtown that if, if you go one block, you have seen the entire downtown district. I mean, you've seen it all. The nearest Walmart is uh, 45 miles away. Nearest mall is a little, it's I think 54 miles away. Um, so if they want to do any shopping, it's either Amazon uh, or they have to drive a long, 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 long way. And those people are used to it. Uh, many, of them, many of them drive those distances just to go to work uh, and so forth. In Bible days, you know, you didn't just jump in your car and go. You, most people walked. And so you didn't go great distances. So this, this father... He said, let's, let's have breakfast. Let's spend a little time together. And they sat down, verse 6, and did eat and drink both of them together. For the damsel's father had said unto the man, be content, I pray thee, and tarry all night and let thine heart be married. Uh, Dad talked to him and, oh, just, just spend one more night. I mean, you've only been here three days. I, I'm not going to see you for how, you know, who knows how long. Why don't you stay here? And uh, so he did. Verse 7, when the man rose up to depart, his father-in-law urged him. Next morning, did the same thing again. Therefore, he lodged there again. So uh, three days have turned into four days, now turned into, you know, it just keeps on going. 
Uh, how many of you would have done kind of the same thing as that father-in-law? Anybody here? I would have. Um, there are no grandkids involved, but I love my kids too. Um, and so the, it, it's a normal thing. Verse number eight, on, he rose early in the morning of the fifth day to depart. And the damsel's father said, comfort thine heart, I pray thee. So he's trying it again. They tarried until afternoon and they did eat both of them. And when the man rose up to depart, now normally in the other days, he's getting up early in the morning. Got to make a long trip. Why would they get up early in the morning and try to make the trip then rather than waiting till afternoon or early evening? Daylight. Okay, there aren't street lights and, they, they, you know, there weren't flashlights and there weren't headlights. Uh, so uh, traveling in the dark could be uh, difficult uh, in that kind of terrain. They didn't have highways and stuff like that that we have today. They had, you know, uh, uh, tracks where the carts ran and paths and stuff like that. Why else? Uh, would you want to start early in the day and get your traveling done? What's that? The heat of the day. Um, when, when we were there uh, in 20, uh, at the year 2000, the day we went up to Masada was 104 degrees um, in, in the afternoon. Um, and, and, and you'd want to escape the heat of the day and get as much mileage uh, under you uh, for that. Why else would you start early in the morning rather than late in the day? Ron? Safety. Even in the daytime, traveling was difficult in those days. Um, and and, and uh, there were always marauders. There were always people looking out, even, even to go against caravans. But especially this man, a few servants, uh, his concubine and, and their animals, that's an easy target uh, and so forth. And if it got dark, that danger uh, rose exponentially because they could come out of the dark, deal with you, and they're gone and uh, you're defenseless and so forth. Um, but in this case, the, the man's got up every morning and father-in-law talked him out of it. Now they're hanging out and, and fellowshipping and so forth and they tarried until afternoon and they did eat both of them. And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine and his servants, his father-in-law, the damsel's father said unto him, behold, now the day draweth toward evening. I pray you tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here. And let thine heart, uh, that thine heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you early on your way that thou mayest go home. So, by the way, the father-in-law's counsel here on this point is, is good counsel. It's very, very wise. Um, he's really not done anything wrong here except delay the departure of his son-in-law and his daughter. Okay? Uh, we could see that this is just a father not wanting to say goodbye to his little girl. Um, they've, they've already had trouble in their marriage and he, he just hates to see them go off. Uh, he wants to make sure that they're okay. But now he's giving very wise counsel. He said, the day's drawing to an end. Stay here and leave in the morning. But what do you think that this Levite's thinking about that? I'll just wait and stay till the morning. Yeah, tomorrow it'll be the same story. Uh, this man just doesn't want to let go of his family. And so the Levite makes an unwise decision. Okay? The Bible says in verse 10, but the man would not tarry that night. But he rose up and departed and came over against Jebus, which is what? Jerusalem. That's to the north of Bethlehem, Judah. It's about three and a half miles, okay? 
They left late in the day. It's evening. They've started their journey. Um, it's even, even with a, a donkey and so forth. Uh, they're not galloping or anything like that. They, wouldn't, they probably wouldn't rush as, a, as it's getting darker. That would be dangerous for the animals uh, and so forth. So it's slow going. Three and a half miles would have taken a while. That's like, uh, that's like a 5K, okay? I walked a 5K three times a couple of summers ago. It took me an hour and 20 minutes, okay? And of course, that's, that's with a, a prosthetic limb and so forth. Um, and so you got this entourage and they're moving out. They started late in the day and they come to this place called Jebus. There were with him two asses saddled. So all the supplies are on the animals. It, it appears they're not riding them. They're leading them. His concubine also was with him. And when they were by Jebus, the day was far spent. And the servant said unto his master, come, I pray thee, and let us turn in unto this city of the whom." Jebusites and lodge in it. At this point in time, Jebus, which later would be named Jerusalem, has not been, um, uh, has not been claimed by the children of Israel. Remember, as we went through the book of Judges and then early Joshua, uh, when Brother Tim was taking us through uh, all of these events, they, they conquered the land, but there were pockets where they let the Canaanites remain. What did they do with those that remained? They taxed them. They put them under tribute. Were they supposed to do that? What were they supposed to do? Destroy all of them, all of their idols, everything about it. Uh, cleanse the land of those. Jebus was one of those cities of incomplete obedience. The Jebusites still lived there. And the servant is saying, look, the, the day's gone. Why don't we go into this city and lodge there? A city would most likely have a wall around it and they would be a little safer from vandals and so forth. Oftentimes, cities would have a city watch that would sort of be awake through the night, just making sure its inhabitants were safe. Is the servants' council good or bad? It, yeah, it, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? To go there, but look at verse 12. His master said unto him, we will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. Think about that. It's, it's late at night. He said, we're not going in here. These people don't know God. These people aren't Israelites. These people, we're, we're not going to spend the night in the midst of them. Um, good or bad? That's pretty good. This guy's got some standards, doesn't he? He's, he's got some ideas of right and wrong. Um, what could possibly happen going into a city that is completely occupied and controlled by the heathen? They could kill him. Eat him. Oh, beat them. I thought he said eat him. I guess if they're hungry enough, I don't know. Um, do you, you, you realize, uh, who knows what kind of influences were in the city of Jebus? Uh, you know, what, what, how the people lived, uh, you know, what, what, what the nightlife was. And this man's saying, no, we're, we're not, we're not going to be a part of that. He said, we will pass over to Gibeah. Okay, Gibeah is in the land of Benjamin. There'll be a day when Gibeah will be the capital for King Saul when he becomes the king of Israel. 
It is a, it is a Jewish city. It's owned by the Israelites. So this man said, no, we're not going in here. These people don't know God. They're strangers. They're not Israelites. We're going to travel a little farther and we're going to go to Gibeah. Gibeah was about four miles from Jerusalem. So that means their entire journey was between seven and eight miles. Uh, but it's dark now. Okay. Again, going back, I walked a, a 5K uh, a, a couple of summers ago, and it took me an hour and 20 minutes walking, and that's without stopping to rest. That's without stopping to get a drink of water or anything. That's just walking straight through, and probably they weren't going much faster than I would have because it was dark. It was rugged, so you're, you're understanding they've got another hour and a half to two hours at least uh, to go on this journey. It is dark, but this man says, I would rather go and lodge with the people of God than stay here in the city of the strangers. Why? Think about it for just a moment. Okay, the, we, the strangers don't know God, but why was Gibby a better option? Throw out some reasoning for me. What expectations did he have of Gibeah? He assumed they were godly. They were God's people. Okay? Any other expectations he would have? Yeah, they'd probably be safer there. Their, their family, they're Jewish. They're, they're Israelites. He's a Levite. Uh, the Levites were generally... Respected. Remember how Micah was so excited to have a Levite come into his house and, and be a priest in his, his house of idols and so forth. Levites had a measure of respect among God's people. And, and I think he expected that that would be any other expectations he might have had about Gibeah. They were godly. So they weren't, they weren't really worried about a nightlife. Okay. Um, they would possibly respect his position as a Levite. Um, I think he thought they would be safe there, that they would find the kind of hospitality. Um, you know, it's, it's in, the, in the law of Moses. Uh, you know, to, Jesus said the second commandment was, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And, and this man went there with an honest and open heart. So it's, it's night when they're going to walk into this city um, and so forth. Verse 11, he said unto his servant, come, and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah. Ramah was where Samuel would make his home. And Samuel's entire ministry uh, would center and focus on the place of Ramah. If you went to the land of Israel today, uh, you would go to the modern day site of Ramah and sort of out in the middle of nowhere, you'll find this area that's got a high security fence. It's, it's, sadly, it's Palestinian territory. But inside that fence is the, what they call the tomb of Samuel. And it's guarded. Our guide was a born-again Israeli. He, the, the Palestinian guards would not let him in. They would not let him in. But they did let us in, and we could go in. Wasn't a whole lot to see. Uh, you know, inside it, but they, you know, it's there and it's just, it's out in the middle of nowhere. That's where Samuel would be, be later buried. He said, we either go to Gibeah or we'll go to Ramah. And they passed on verse 14 and went their way. And the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. So when they're walking in, the sun's down, it's dark, the gate's shut. 
uh, and therein, what do you think he's feeling? His, his little entourage, this Levite, uh, his, his wife, his servants, and so forth. How do you think they're feeling right at this exact moment? He says uneasy. Tired. I, I would think it's been a long day. Um, you know, they plan to, you know, they, they actually plan to go all the way home, and that, that didn't happen yet. I'm not sure they were uneasy. I think probably it's like, whew, we made it. We made it. How many of you have been driving down the road and your wife said, hey, shouldn't we get some gas? Nah, we can go. And then all of a sudden you find out, my car talks to me, it shows messages up. You're about to run out of gas. Would you like me to show you where the nearest gas station is? You know, you know that type of thing. And you know you're running on fumes and uh, the next exit is like 53 miles away. Has that ever happened to anybody? And you just, Lord, please don't let me run out of gas. Don't, don't let her be right. Don't let her be right, you know. That type. And, and you finally see the sign, you know, Exxon, next exit, and it's a mile and a half away. Lord, I just need to get a mile and a half. And, and finally, you kind of pull in, and, you know, uh, it's almost fumes coming out. How many, how many have ever done that? My hand is up. Isn't that a great feeling when you get there and you didn't have to be towed there? <laughs> you know, you made it and you can fill up and all that kind of stuff. This is, the, I believe, you got to understand, this is where this man and his family, are. we made it. We are safe. We're, we're in a place where God is honored uh, and all of that. This is the backdrop that God is giving to us. Okay, uh, we're going to stop at verse 14. Uh, in verse 15, things are going to take a turn. Things are going to take a turn, and there's going to be trouble in Gibeah that this man never dreamed of. And we're going we're gonna to actually look at a very sad testimony of God's people in this particular situation. So stay tuned. It is 1045, so it is time uh, for us to stop and the morning service is going to start. Please take time uh, to greet one another and always, always, if you see somebody that you don't know, somebody maybe that's their first time, go out of your way to make them feel at home uh, so that uh, they just are comfortable. If they need a nursery or a restroom, point them in the right direction. Be very kind. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Bible.